Hello, and welcome to How Many Geese. He's Jack Badams. And he's Roddy Shaw. And if you're looking for a podcast about nature that doesn't take itself too seriously... Then we are The Natural Selection. On today's episode. When did the Soviet Union start selling sparrows in quantities of the quarter of a million? I reckon a beaver is the kind of animal which will snap and frenzy. Then it's going to enter some kind of berserker mode. Yeah. Birds are older than grass. What? Yeah, birds existed before grass did. 4,000 pound <laughs> grizzly bears in swarms of over 10,000. Descending on the Polish embassy. You're familiar, I assume, with the Great Emu War of Australia. Mm-hmm. So I will explain to people listening what the Great Emu War of Australia is and a bit of the detail around it because the detail is quite exceptional. Exceptional detail. That's what we're here for. So, the Great Emu War was a wildlife management military operation in Australia in the latter part of 1932 to basically address the fact that there were a shit ton of emus around. Mm. Which is the unit of measurement for emus. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And there is the metric and the imperial <laughs> system. After the First World War, lots of veterans were given farms and they were told to plant lots and lots of wheat. And if they did this, they would be subsidised heavily which never really came, so that caused a bit of unrest. But then, up to 20,000 emus turned up in this area of Western Australia and started eating the wheat. Which I believe, just quickly, 20,000 is one and a half imperial shit tons. <laughs> they started eating the wheat, but also breaking down fences and letting rabbits and stuff in. So the fact that all these people were ex-soldiers plays into the story of the Great Emu War, because then this group of ex-soldiers met with the Ministry of Defence. So this is an environmental issue. Yeah. About there being too many emus. Yeah. They called a meeting with the Ministry of Defence of Australia. Okay, the bloody big guns. <laughs> suggested using, they were like, hey, uh, Minister, we'd like to use uh, machine guns to, to solve our problem because they've mm. all got experience of it, solve our problems with emus. And the Minister said, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. As, <laughs> as Straight long as up. It, as long as it's only people with military experience because we don't want this war to become incompetent. Fast forward onto the <laughs> recounting of what happened in the war. The Great Emu War begins on the 2nd of November when the men, now armed with a machine gun, it's only one, it's like a big one, like one of those big ones. They've not all got kind of yeah, handheld yeah, yeah. ones. It's one of those big ones that they're using. To a town called Campion where 50 emus had been seen. That's a metric shit done. Well, they're talking about 20,000 emus. When you think of the Great Emu War, you think they're going into battle with like a lot. Yeah, like Helm's Deep yeah. kind of stuff. Where they, they've seen a flock of 50 emus and they've gone... Let's Fuck these emus. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's road test the machine gun. So they got there and the birds were out of range to shoot. So they decided to herd them closer, at which they all just split off and run away. They did manage to shoot a few, but only a, hand, well, I mean a handful of emus. That's like, what, like a foot. They, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a handful of emus. Well, you shot one foot of an emu. They shot a small number of birds, but that was it. So that's the 2nd of November. That's the first skirmish of the Emu War. Remember, remember, the 2nd of November. <laughs> the 4th of November, Major GPW Meredith gets involved. So he's the coordinator who's Lad. leading this yep. fight against the Emus. He decides to establish an ambush near a local dam. Remember, as we're telling this story, this is Emus. The way it's written makes it sound like this is some kind of actual fight with other people, not Emus. Yeah. So Major GPW Meredith establishes an ambush near a local dam where more than a thousand emus were spotted heading towards their position. I mean, the numbers are going up considering, th what is it, two days ago they were shooting at 50 and yeah. now they're going at a thousand. So they've scaled up two days later. Yeah. This time the birds came within range of the soldiers and they opened fire with their machine gun, which jammed after 12 birds were killed and they all ran off. <laughs> 
by the fourth day. I'm glad day, there was an element of competency to the whole <laughs> to the whole affair. By the fourth day, army observers noted that this is about the emus. Each pack seems to have its own leader now. A big black plumed bird which stands fully <laughs> six feet high and keeps watch while his mates carry out their work of destruction, by which he means eating some wheat. <laughs> I hope the big emu had like the Rambo mud stripes on his face, you know, just dips his toe in, comes up and smears his eyes in camo paint. So Meredith decides to up the ante a little bit. Because they can't get as close to the emus as they want, he decides to mount a machine gun on a truck to mm. chase after the birds. First of all, it's good thinking from just so far, I'm following Meredith's logic. Yeah. First of all, the emus can outrun the truck over the terrain. Problem one. The second is that even if he had got close enough, which happened on a couple of occasions, the ride was so rough that the gunner wasn't able to fire any shots anyway. Problem two. It's been a bit of a disaster so far. It's not going well. A week into the operation, 2,500 rounds had been fired, and it was estimated that as little as 50 birds had actually been killed out of 20,000. So they basically decided to call the whole thing off. Oh, this is a great this is a great little quote actually from Major Meredith is reflecting on his foes after the the, the week of <laughs> the week of battle. If we had a military division with the bullet carrying capacity of these birds, it would face any army in the world. They can face machine guns with the invulnerability of tanks. It's an emu. I should say that there was actually a second round of fighting a few weeks later when all the emus came back and they did manage to kill more. They reckon they probably killed about a thousand in a couple of weeks. But out of twenty thousand, we're still talking Five percent. One of the most embarrassing things in Australian history. I... Losing a war to a bird is definitely got to be high on any any list. Do you want to hear the next war on a species that ended in even more of an egg on face situation? Yes. <laughs> okay, we go to China now in 1958. So this is. Hang on. When was the Emu War? Pre uh, this. Yeah, it was like 1932, I think. So this is Wildlife War Two. So this is after. So we're in China, and one of the first actions of what is known as the Great Leap Forward. Great name. Was it named by frogs? <laughs> Frog PR team. <laughs> Great Leap Forward. Was the instigation of the Four Pests campaign, which aimed to eliminate, and this is talking about elimination of these species. This is not like control, like the emus, they wanted to kind of suppress them mm. in one particular mm. area of Australia. This is talking about eradication of the Four Pests. Fire are and brimstone. Yeah. yeah. Get rid of them. Rats, flies, mosquitoes, and sparrows. From an ecological perspective, that sounds like a recipe for total collapse. You've got it. <laughs> so the Sparrow campaign is what we're going to focus on the most yeah. because it was pretty successful. The Sparrow branch of the Four Pest campaign was known as the Smash Sparrows campaign, which I love. You know, American high schools, and it's always like, go Titans, go Tigers. And it's like, sparrows. smash those sparrows. <laughs> So this was mainly focused on tree sparrows, which ate grain and fruit, so they were targeted. They were also declared, this is a great quote, the government, we're talking about communism, declared that birds were public animals of capitalism. Whatever that means. Public animals. Public animals of capitalism. And as far as I could see, that wasn't just a reference to sparrows, that was all birds. A bird's capitalist? Weaver birds aren't capitalist. I reckon a crow is capitalist. A crow's definitely capitalist. Yeah. Yeah, Crow's the Rupert Murdoch of, <laughs> of the of bird, bird pyramid. World. Exactly, that's on top. Yeah. And it's extorting everything below it. Yeah, well, it's, it's the mob boss, isn't he? Yes. He's there exactly. with a big rough, and he's just like, hey, you're going to run This Smash Sparrows campaign is a mix of the military involved, but largely this is encouraging like citizens to do it. Get out there and kill all these things. So they destroy nests, they shoot birds, they you know kill chicks or whatever. One of my favourite methods 
that they would use to get rid of the sparrows was to bang pots and pans so loudly and consistently that the sparrows couldn't rest and they would fall dead from the sky. Now, when I read that, I thought, that's not true. But this makes me think it is. Because in Beijing, the Polish embassy decided that they didn't want to give up their sparrows. God bless you, Poland. Someone has to take a stand. (laughs) All the sparrows. So what's happened now is in Beijing, all the sparrows have gone to the Polish embassy. And they're hiding there. And claiming asylum. (laughs) (laughs) Got to be the only incidence of animal refugee asylum claims. So they've gone there and the Chinese are like, we want want your sparrows. And the way that the the Chinese are so dead set on getting hold of these sparrows, but they know they can't go in and actually physically get them, that they surround the entire Polish embassy with drums and they drum consistently for two days. As a result, the Poles had to use shovels to remove the amount of dead sparrows. So when I was originally throwing shade at the fact that I don't think banging pots and pans would work, the fact that they're disturbing the birds so much that they just can't sleep or rest or and go out to feed, I suppose, because they're now all bottlenecked in the embassy, means they just eventually ended up dropping dead. And after two days, the Polish embassy had to use shovels to, to remove them. It's I didn't lot- realise you could kill something just by noising it to death yeah basically yeah, yeah. <laughs> harassing it to... <laughs> yeah but i suppose you're you're stopping it from feeding you're stopping it from doing anything it would normally do but this is in the middle of beijing yeah now i've never been no. but i'm assuming that it's not it's not quiet doesn't urban wildlife like surely you can't harass a london fox to death they're <laughs> putting up with shit all day you know i mean this is this is a coordinated team of people surrounding anti sparrow entire- <laughs> drum players <laughs> surrounding the entire embassy and playing continuously for two days. I would like to think that when was this? Nineteen fifty fifty eight. Fifty eight. So then the sixties is around the corner. Bands maybe are starting up. You know, there's a there's an emergence of a new thing, and you're holding auditions for a new drummer, and it's like, oh, what have you done? And it's like, oh, I um. <laughs> you heard of the uh, <laughs> Polish embassy uh, <laughs> sparrow. sparrow slaughter? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was me. I uh, I led that with a hi hat and a and a bass drum. I took out five hundred sparrows from fifty paces. So what do you think happened with this very successful eradication? I should say of sparrows. You already touched on it earlier. What do you think happened? Oh, hawks started falling from the sky or something. It was the other way around, really. So think about hawks. Are... Oh, the flies or whatever the sparrows are eating exploded. Yeah, exactly. Which is hilarious because it was another one of the pests. Two of them, flies and mosquitoes. So it turns out sparrows eat a lot of insects, as well as grain and fruit and everything uh, that they were actually trying to kill them for. What follows the sparrow eradication is one of the most severe ecological imbalances ever seen. The locust populations basically boomed afterwards and the rice yields massively went down. And the whole point of this four pest campaign was to increase agricultural productivity. This basically leads to the Great Chinese Famine in which 15 to 45 million people died. Wow, because they fucked up some sparrows. And then the Chinese decided a bit later on to swallow their pride and import 250,000 sparrows from the Soviet Union just to try and get them back. Would that ha- when did the Soviet Union start selling sparrows in quantities of the quarter of a million? And when, how much? Oh, I, d- I don't know how much you're paying for a... How much would you pay for a quarter of a million sparrows? A quarter of a million? Oh, I would pay for a tree sparrow. I would pay per sparrow... But then if you're buying them on bulk, obviously you're getting a discount. Well, we need a per sparrow cost would, to start yeah. us off. Well, yeah, but a per sparrow cost, I'd, I'd maybe say, if I just wanted a sparrow, I'd pay like four quid for it. But if I want 250,000 sparrows, I'm not spending four pound a sparrow. I'm well, that'd like, be a million. 
so I'm going Maybe a million yeah. pounds. So I'm going max. I want I want to negotiate a one pound a sparrow deal on two hundred fifty thousand. Like I'm bulk buying a lot. Like, <laughs> that's the biggest business they have and will ever do <laughs> on the sparrow trade. <laughs> How did China, this is pre-internet, and this is someone at China going, we need to restock our sparrows. I guess it's the Soviets. Communists, they had the thing going on. But then Russia, do you think they were like, oh, yes, we have sparrow. <laughs> or they were like, of course. And then turned around and it was like, get sparrow. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, did, did Russia have an established sparrow economy? I like to think there was like one guy who's selling sparrows yeah. on like the streets of Moscow. Out the back of in, a Soviet era car. All of a sudden like the government officials just pull up and they're just like, <laughs> we have an order. <laughs> 250,000 sparrows. sparrows. That's it. He just retires for life. On that sweet, sweet sparrow money. So that's the story of the emu war and the great, the great sparrow fiasco really as it should probably be known which i think the lesson is spiasco maybe if you will it's just don't fuck with nature to that extent do we know what happened with the other three pest programs i can't imagine how you could i suppose rats maybe but flies and mosquitoes you're not going to music them to death no also there's an element of maybe nobility i mean i don't know what the polish embassy thought when all the sparrows arrived there if they were like we are clearly the chosen ones or yeah. if they were like shit there's a million sparrows in the kitchen <laughs> but what i'm saying is who are the embassies that got the mosquitoes <laughs> <laughs> the french embassy just like Zut <laughs> every mosquito in beijing just descends on that ambassador okay here's a question if you were living in an embassy, which one of the four creatures would you rather... Oh, sparrows. Sparrows. Sparrows, sparrows rats, flies, and mosquitoes. Sparrows, rats... Or f- rank them. Oh, well, mosquitoes are last place. Because they're going to give you malaria. That was why they wanted to get rid of them, I should say, because malaria. Yeah, I mean, that that is the worst. I want to be a celebrity turned up to a fucking a million. Do you want to be locked in a building with every malaria-causing mosquito <laughs> in one of the biggest cities in the world? Yeah. So they're last. Sparrows, definitely first. And then it's flies or rats. And I think... God, it's going to be a lot. You're going to be, like, knee-deep, aren't you? The volume of rats is going to be a lot. Whereas, obviously, that amount of flies, there's less. But the annoyance of... I think, I think I'm going to have to... I think I'd have to go sparrows top. Then I think I'd go flies, rats, mosquitoes. mosquitoes. I think rats would be second last. I think it's a coin flip for me for the flies and the rats. Because I don't see... I don't think it's enjoyable either way. Yeah, I mean, not in the situations that we're ranking in terms of... Well, do you have the people playing drums as well? Yes. I reckon... You have to stand against not only Beijing and its population, but the entire Chinese government to stop, <laughs> to stop them killing the animals that are now residing At the in peak your of, like, communism stuff as well. Yeah, and then you inevitably, two days later, you have to shovel all those dead animals out. I'd entertain taking a stand on behalf of the sparrows. The other three can fuck themselves. Okay, it's that part of the show where we take one of nature's magnificent animals and we pitch it against Roddy Shaw in a fight to the death. Now, all the animals that we have in this segment have been unwittingly nominated by people to me on Instagram who didn't know what they were putting these animals in for. And this one is from Sophie Pavel. Now, if anyone knows Sophie, she's a very big champion for this animal. We're going to be talking about the beaver. Mm. Now, the beaver. 
the second largest rodent after the capybara. Beavers can be up to a metre and a half long, an average weight of just over 20 kilograms. Weapons, obviously, we're talking teeth. Teeth that can fell a tree are going to be pretty lethal. And they can be pretty defensive when under threat or protecting their families or territory. One particular incident I want to make you aware of, Roddy, before you give your answer, is there is at least one beaver attack on a human that is known to have been fatal. A 60-year-old fisherman in Belarus died in 2013 when a beaver bit open an artery in his leg. Now, the incident was described by the media as the latest in a series of beaver attacks on humans in the country where a burgeoning beaver population had led to an increase in interactions with people. However, what really happened was <laughs> others criticised the victim, noting that he likely, likely provoked the attack when he grabbed the beaver in an effort to take a photo with it. Hmm. He was trying to take a selfie with the beaver. No, no. And it bit him, opened an artery in his leg, and he bled out. So, Ronnie, the question is, how many beaver are too many beaver? So, two things. First of all, I think we can't be lulled into a false sense of security here by what can be... Perhaps, you know, like a doughy, furry, little, you know, yeah. paddy tail. They're very cute. They're nice little animals. Yeah, but we can't let that cloud our judgment. No, not for a second. So talk, talk you through terrain and... Def well, ag again, this is our first truly amphibious foe. Water, marsh, land will all be good for them. They're just too good. They're too good terrain-wise. Yeah. They're too. They're too capable. They're all terrain. All ter this is a real all-terrain vehicle of a rodent. Yeah. I don't think I could fight one in any vertical sense, like on a rock climbing wall. I don't see how that works at all. We're gonna have to do it somewhere where not not that the terrain will be difficult for it, but it might be shocked, very really thrown off its guard. So, you know, on The Apprentice, mm. when they pitch their business plans, the final like three or four to the advisors and they get like torn apart and they have like a big scary like a big scary job interview yeah at the top of the shard yeah that's where i'm fighting the beavers <laughs> okay okay that beaver is going to be above the london skyline oh it's out of place there it's not floor to ceiling glass windows mm. it doesn't know what's going on um so top floor of the shard in fact maybe maybe i do it after they've all pitched their business plans to alan sugar <laughs> yeah <laughs> I want a string of demoralised beavers who've had their dreams shattered by some of the city's most bullish, shark-like financial minds. But, again, they've faced struggle. They've been made extinct. However, they've come back. We know that these are the comeback kings yeah. of rodent world. They're having, and they're on a high. They're having a great time at the moment. <clears throat> the, the, the country is very much seems to be embracing the return of the beaver. So they're universally loved. You, I think you're up against a pretty... You've got, I think the public support is going to be against you here. Definitely. I'm definitely being painted as a villain in the media in the run-up to this fight. Absolutely. It's like when... People I'm... are tuning in to watch you lose. Yeah. Mm. I think a key thing with the beaver, I think very easily distracted by just turning on a tap. If you just turn on a tap and leave it running... That beaver. They're going to try and. Is, they're going to try and stop it. Yeah. <laughs> they're instantly looking around for twigs to try and for stop any flowing water. Yeah. In fact, at the top of the shard, they're going to be in full view of the River Thames. Oh. They're going to a nightmare. Be, they're they're going to be distraught at how much water is being allowed to Look flow. Look at that. How are they allowing that to happen? To flow freely. I'm I'm getting very confident now with what we've put here post job interview in full view 
of the River Thames, hundreds of feet above the ground. But the one thing I keep circling back to is I reckon a beaver is the kind of animal which will snap and frenzy. Mm. I don't want to put too much pressure on it because yeah. then it's going to enter some kind of berserker mode. Yeah. You know. And the teeth, we shouldn't underestimate, the teeth are ferocious. Not in the slightest. I mean, am I right that, that they... iron-coated. Yes, contain iron, and that's how they've got the orange colour, yeah. and it makes them so incredibly strong. I mean, one bite to the leg, you're right, it's going straight through the artery, but I reckon, I reckon the scenario's playing well, but I don't want to be too cocky, because I think if they enter some kind of berserker mode, then I don't stand a chance. I'm saying ten. So the only other thing I've got really is you seen the Megalodon news? Yeah, uh, the news. The news. Well, still dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently we know how big it is now, which I didn't. Yeah, you know, I, I thought, thought we, we already that knew that. Hashed out. Yeah. But literally, like two days ago, there's news articles everywhere saying oh, apparently we know how big Megalodon is, and it was like 16 meters long, and it was its tail was 3.85 meters high. But actually, this reminded me of something that I saw a week or two ago about Megalodon because I'm all up on my Megalodon news, obviously. Mm -hmm, this is mm -hmm. a Daily Express article. Cla oh, what a source online. of Megalodon. I mean, I, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm not. They're, they're Megalodon I don't know, was it peer-reviewed? <laughs> but this is more more to talk about why are we so obsessed with the fact that Megalodon isn't dead? Because I've come across this multiple times in the last kind of month or so. So this Daily Express article had the headline. I think I saw it shared on Twitter. That's me covering my back so that I'm not reading the video. <laughs> um, the headline was, and I quote, Shark mystery. Hunt for predator that devoured monster Mako sparking Meg return fears. One more time. Shark mystery. Colon. Hunt for predator that devoured monster Mako sparking Meg return fears. So we should say that Mako is a type of shark. Yeah. And what had happened, essentially, is a fisherman off the coast of Australia who was out shark fishing got one on a line and was reeling it in. And by the time he'd reeled it a in... A Mako shark. A Mako shark. Hmm. By the time he'd reeled it in, it was just the head. Left. Oh. And the head, allegedly, was 100 kilograms. What? So it's a big head. That's... I'm 89 or something. So it's a big fish that yeah. we're talking here. So, of course, it was Megalodon. C clearly. Is the jump that the jump that the Daily Express have gone yes. to. The scientists... I mean, literally, it took me like two seconds to find out what actual scientists think of this. And they think it was probably... It could be kind of a couple of great whites or a couple of tiger sharks kind of tag-teaming it as they see it yeah. you know, on the line and thrashing around or whatever. But I also saw recently... Um, there's no way of covering myself here. A TikTok, because I've embraced the whole TikTok thing over lockdown, of some guy talking about the fact that scientists think that the Megalodon may still be alive in the Mariana Trench. Yeah. And I'm just like, can we just let it go? And I tried to think of like an equivalent of what this, this Daily Express headline would be if it was something else that was extinct. I rewrote the title. So I'm going to read the shark one back to you again. This was the Daily Express article. Shark mystery. Hunt for predator that devoured monster Mako, sparking mega return fears. Rewritten to be something on land, because I think it's the fact that it's the sea. Mm. And it's the fact that we don't know much about the sea, and we think this mm. giant 16-meter shark could still be out there. If we were to flip that as a terrestrial thing, it would be something along the line of, Elephant mystery. <laughs> Hunt for predator that devoured monster elephant, sparking Tyrannosaurus rex return fears. But it's the return fears. Like, who out there is... Is worried. Is worried, yeah. Who's even thinking? 
Oh, don't go in the sea. Why? Maybe Megalodon. You don't know. There are lots of things. In, I mean, talking about going back to the whole Venom thing, like box jellyfish, like yeah. blue ringed octopus, actual sharks that we know exist. You ever been stung by a jellyfish? No, I don't think I have. Maybe as a kid, but not that I can mm. remember. Have you? Yeah. Does it really hurt? It was pretty rough for a bit, yeah. yeah. But it was interesting because I was swimming in the same area with another guy and he got stung as well. 10, 15 minutes later and had a worse reaction. Not like, you know, no one was pissing on anyone or yeah. any of that sort of stuff. The most painful thing I've been bitten by was, do you know the Scolopendra yeah. centipedes? Yeah. Which are... A horrible nightmare fuel. They're these armor-plated centipedes that can be... You get different species of kind of various lengths, but some of them can be quite big. Yeah. And they're so quick. Quite big being like over a foot long. Yeah. Quite big. Not like, you know, oh, it's an insect. Like, yeah. this is... Not like when everyone goes, oh, the bees seem big this spring. Yeah. No, this is like proper nightmare fuel... Yeah. eating rabbits and they've kind got, of you, things. You can see their kind of jaws. You can <clears> see their pincers. Um, and I got bitten while I was in Dominica when I had left my bag outside my tent for too long, brought it in, and I can only think the scolopendra got in that way. And then I got woken up at kind of midnight while I was in my tent by this intense pain on one of my toes. And the only thing on the island that could hurt you was scolopendra. <laughs> it, it wasn't life-threatening, because I went to see the medic and I was like, I've been bitten by Scolopendra because I got my torch and I saw it and I saw it like disappear under the air bed and I was like, oh, fuck. Oh, God. Um, so I had to go see the, the medic. And some of them seriously are like, some of them can kill, you know, adult humans. Luckily, the one on Dominica wasn't, she just yeah. said. Or 10,000 mice. <laughs> yeah. She just said, oh, it's only, um, it's only dangerous if you've got uh, underlying health conditions, you're old or you're young. And I was like, I'm 23. <laughs> how young uh, i consider yeah. myself quite young yeah. anyway i was absolutely fine but the pain was it was like having the the kind of pinprick from a needle injection mm. but then f feeling as though someone was pushing kind of boiling water into your foot it was horrible oh, God. it was really painful and you could feel it with every every heartbeat and obviously i've just been bitten by a venomous creature so my heart is pounding every time your heartbeat you could it, you kind of felt it more. I had to catch it then. So then I went outside my tent and I'm looking around for something to, to catch it. And I find half a Coke bottle that's been sawn in half. Uh. And I'm uprooting on my tent because it's going under my airbed. And I get the half a Coke bottle and I like slam it down on top of it. But the centipede is too big to fit inside the Coke bottle. So it's head sticking out and it's like thrashing around. And you can see the little beadlets of venom coming Ooh. off of it. And anyway, then I like flick it into the thing and lob it out. But then for the next four hours... I'm just lying in bed with this severe pain and kind of drifting in and out of sleep because it was midnight. And then I just remember waking up at six in the morning and nothing apart from these two little dots on my foot where it had bit me. I don't think there's anything I'm more thankful for in all of evolution than centipedes not being able to fly. <laughs> <laughs> like that would be horrific. You know, like in Avatar, the James Cameron film, yep. and they're going down through the forest and there's just like, because it's all inspired by the sea, and there's kind of stuff just bobbing around. Thank God that doesn't happen. Like, imagine just walking down the street and there's just a centipede just sort of suspended in the air. Do you remember we once had the conversation about you were telling me about the big locust swarms that are in Africa at the minute. I think they're still going on. Yeah. And we were talking about what a bizarre behaviour locust swarming is and that you get these solitary yeah, grasshoppers yeah, yeah. Yeah. but all of a sudden a, a switch is flicked where they suddenly become highly hyper-social but also grow wings. And we were <laughs> talking about what would be the worst animal that could have that behaviour. Bears. 
<laughs> so bears as one. But yeah, like... four thousand pound grizzly bears in swarms of over ten thousand descending on the Polish embassy <laughs> while Chinese people played drums in like a Mad Max. <laughs> anyway. The re- yeah, the reason I brought that up is because scolopendra centipedes would, would certainly be one of those things that you wouldn't want growing wings and suddenly becoming oh. hy- hyper-social. I'd, like, I'd end the, it. Like those locust swarms. I'd take my life. Yeah, <laughs> those locust swarms you can't see in front of your face. And imagine if that was... And all they want is celery. <laughs> like, you know, there's not an immediate risk to you and your family. Right. But if it was like killer whales <laughs> just coming over the horizon like Apocalypse Now... Sonar blasting, your head's caving in. Maybe it's maybe it could be Megalodon. Maybe we just have it's going to be like the next the sequel to the next Godzilla movie. But it doesn't even need to be the sequel to the next Godzilla movie. It just has to be this month in 2020. If we get to November and there's a headline which is swarms of Megalodon rise from the sea and take to the skies. In coordinated behaviour. To be fair, we should listen to the Daily Express. They saw this coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what they meant by Meg fears. Anyway, the last point on the Meg, having you know slated the fact that people genuinely believe that it might come back, is I looked at when it was living, because I drew the parallel with Tyrannosaurus Rex. Mm. But I was like, well, when was Megalodon actually alive? This you know giant shark preying on... Because I always thought it was preying on things like plesiosaurs you know mm. monster type the megalodon was believed to be alive for like 23 to 3 million years ago hey. so that's the time it was believed to be alive and the coelacanth right. which is a fish that everyone thought was extinct the last fossil of it that dated from 66 yeah. million years ago when the meteor that struck the earth and killed dinosaurs and they thought that this was an extinct species of fish and then it was a south african fisherman caught it in like 1930 something and it was still alive that was 66 million years ago we thought that had been extinct since 66 million years ago until we caught one in a net yeah megalodon has theoretically only been extinct three million years ago mm. it's not that not that long so I'm just going to leave that thought. My last thing will just be to add that fact I love is that sharks are older than trees. Mm, that's really good. My similar one on that vein is uh, birds are older than grass. What? Yeah, birds existed before grass did. That's madness. But then grass is actually quite quite a recent thing. Yeah, because wasn't it all forest? Yeah, or, it was all ferns it? and yeah. stuff like that. Like, but yeah, as an ornithologist, often bust out there. Oh, you like grass too, yeah? Birds are older than that. <laughs> Boosh, mic drop at the grass conference. (laughs) Walk out. (laughs) Thank you very much for listening to How Many Geese. I've been Roddy Shaw. He was Jack Baddams. Tune in next Tuesday for the next episode. In the meantime, if you could follow us on Twitter, I'm at Roddy Shaw. He is at Jack Baddams. Follow us on Insta. He's at J.A. Baddams, at Jabaddams, and I'm at Slideshow Rod. Really hope you enjoyed the episode. Please feel free to tell all your friends, like and share, leave reviews. You know what to do. But thanks for listening again. Go forth and feed the geese.